Well, I want to uh, take this opportunity to really thank Paul. What, a, what an incredible job. Not just with Kids Kingdom, but even being able to uh, kind of connect with us on a heart level there. Uh, uh, I don't know if you guys realize it or not, the little minion thing that he came running out here in, he made that thing from scratch himself. That's pretty darn amazing. You know, I did want to uh, just say, too, uh, I want to commend the Westside family. Uh, you guys raised $1,300 plus for the Jacksons last week. Really appreciate your hearts and being uh, just involved on that level to help when there's a time of need. Amen? I had the uh, opportunity a couple nights ago to uh, get on out to a uh, pistol range, uh, a little event that Alan put together. And... Um, Let's just say the first go-round, um, if you are someone that would be coming after me and I'm the one with the gun, you, you would have your way with me. Uh, I, I was not, uh, I don't know what it was, but anyways, we did have this aspect of it that I felt like I kind of redeemed myself where we had kind of a speed round. And I, I appreciate Alan kind of setting out on up. Basically, we had 30 seconds to get off 12 shots, and within that time frame, uh, if you came in under it, you got a number of points for every second under, and then you had the points as to uh, what it was that you shot. And it must be the whole ADD thing with me personally, and that when I had the time to think about it, I don't know if I was getting distracted or what, but let's just say the bullets weren't doing what they were supposed to do with the, ta the uh, target. But uh, during that speed round, I, I, there's a little green circle in the middle. I got that three times out of the 12, and there was a nice little cluster around it. Now, Scott Horton will probably take me to uh, task on this, but... In talking with Alan, I, I do believe I had the high score during the speed round. And anyway, uh, it was kind of a good time. Hey, amen, bro. What, what does that mean? You're more humble than I am? <laughs> I appreciate your humility. But uh, today, we're going to have the opportunity to uh, kind of see a little bit of that humility in play when it comes to how to really have a right relationship with God, what that looks like and really the impact that can come through just the life of one individual. So the title of the message today is, well, oh, I, there we go, too, too fast with the trigger here. A road, a chariot, and some water. Our uh, primary text this morning is going to be coming out of the book of Acts, chapter 8 specifically. And one of the things I love about the book of Acts is it gives us some great insight it's what God's church is like. In the first century, we see people being saved. We see families coming to the Lord. We see communities coming to the Lord. We see cities coming to the Lord. It's just incredible the impact. Individuals, villages, cities, all being saved. And then in Acts 8, there is the account of an individual who basically has an angel appear to him. We know that individual is Philip the deacon. And with that, he's told that he needs to head on out to this desert road and there was this Ethiopian eunuch that he would come into contact with and have the opportunity to really discuss the good news about Jesus Christ. So we're going to pick up in uh, Acts 8, verse 30. It says, when Philip ran up to the chariot here, to it, heard him reading the prophet Isaiah, and he said, Do you understand what you're reading? How can I, he said, unless someone guides me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. You know, we look at this situation. Here we have this individual who, probably the number two person there, under uh, Candace in Ethiopia. He was the treasurer. We've got a guy that had to have been educated, at the very least good with math, in an incredible position of, of trust on so many different fronts, yet he asks the question, how can I understand? Unless someone's willing to teach, or in the particular translation I read, someone's willing to guide me. And again, smart, educated, powerful individual. Yet seeing the need to have the humility that Scott demonstrated here earlier, <laughs> to invite someone in to, to give him a little bit of help here. He wanted to know. Now, again, he had knowledge, but that knowledge doesn't have anything to do with the condition of our individual hearts. So he wanted to know, he wanted to understand, not just to read the word, but to really understand God's word. And ultimately, I think with that, to really have the opportunity to experience God, to make sure that he had a right relationship with God. 
I think as we look at this, it's more than the question itself. It's the spirit of the question. It's the heart behind the question that I'd like to address this morning. I think for me personally, this is the kind of heart I want to be able to capture, and I hope it's the, the kind of heart that each of us, as we sit here this morning, want to make sure that this is the condition of our own personal hearts. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at what it means to have an available heart, a teachable heart, and a faithful heart. And as I prepare for this lesson, I've talked about the Ethiopian eunuch on a number of different in a number of different situations, but you know, you got to love the internet when it comes to the amount of information that's out there. And I was a little perplexed. I wanted to study out the significance of Christianity in Ethiopia as well as Judaism in Ethiopia. And what I came upon was rather interesting. It's, I was always of the impression that the Ethiopian eunuch was a Gentile that converted to Judaism and then to Christianity. But it's rather interesting in Ethiopia. It's different from every other country in Africa. There were Ethiopian Jews. There were Beta Israel Jews in Ethiopia, and they had lived in Ethiopia for centuries. Now, that, that kind of led me to the next question for myself personally. It's like, okay, well, where do these guys come from? And it's rather interesting. In Ethiopia, they have a book that's called the Kibra Nagas, which is Ethiopia's holy book. And it states that the Ethiopian descendants here were from Israelite tribes that had come to Ethiopia with Menelik I. And it was alleged that he was the son of the union that took place between Solomon and Sheba. That, that's kind of how I felt about it. You know, knowing Solomon's uh, propensity there towards women, not a big stretch. But with that, just really seeing that with this account, what it stated was that Menelik, as an adult, actually went back and spent some time in Jerusalem, and he looked so much like Solomon, Solomon's advisors gave him the direction that he needed to be run out of town because there was too much confusion, felt like it might undermine his power. So there were Levitical priests that gave Menelik the advice to take the Ark of the Covenant. And to this day, there's a chapel in Ethiopia where they claim the Ark of the Covenant actually resides. So looking at this from a historical standpoint in the first century, there were many Ethiopian Jews. With that, the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8 was probably, again, not a Gentile that converted to Judaism, but he was more than likely born a Jew. And with it, the related uh, Falashomura are the descendants of Beta Israel Jews who later converted to Christianity, and that's where we have the roots there today. So with that, let's go ahead and uh, go back to Acts 5, or excuse me, Acts 8, verse 5. In verse 5, it reads, Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah to them. The crowds paid attention with one mind to what Philip said as they heard and saw the signs that he was performing. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was a great joy in the city. And down, dropping down to verse 12, it says, But when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. You know, it's kind of interesting. We see Philip, and again, I think what we see here in Philip, as we do with the Ethiopian eunuch, is an available heart. Philip receives direction from God, and it was really awesome. He was involved in this incredible revival in Samaria, and it was something that had obviously been a huge success based on what we see here. Unclean spirits were cast out. Sick were healed. Multitudes of people were coming to the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and being baptized. And this was big news throughout the kingdom at this point in time and that it was actually heard about back in Jerusalem. So we have Peter and John that went all the way to Samaria to kind of check out what was going on spiritually in this place. And this is kind of interesting as to what it is that happens next. He was heading up this incredible, vibrant ministry. All kinds of relationships, depth, depth of friends and family. And where did this start out? You know, I think it kind of ties in with what Paul talked about here earlier today, and we saw in the skit, an available heart is a heart that serves. Now, did Philip start out as an evangelist? No, he started out as a deacon. Waiting tables... For Grecian Jew widows. And it's amazing through that service how 
he grew and mature in the faith to the point that as this came about in Samaria, now he's leading this incredible ministry with all kinds of impact. But even with that, I'm sure it was a little bit of a heart check for him when it came to the next calling they received from God through the Holy Spirit. We've got this guy, this is incredible evangelist with this awesome ministry. And now, what is it he's being asked to do? Just making sure that heart's still available. Where was the eunuch? Well, let's take a look at uh, the kind of travels that were involved here. In Acts 8, verse 26, so we have the eunuch who had been on this spiritual quest. He was on his way back from just having come and worshiping in Jerusalem. In Acts 8, verse 26, it says, An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. Get up and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert road. So he got up and went. There's that available heart. There was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch, and a high official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of the entire treasury. He had come to worship in Jerusalem, and he was sitting in his chariot on his way home, reading the prophet Isaiah aloud. The Spirit told Philip, go and join the chariot. When Philip ran up to it, he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you're reading? How can he, said, unless someone guides me. So he invited, he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. You know, this whole situation is such an incredible journey. One, when it comes to the, the heart of the Ethiopian and this wanting to, to worship. How many of us would be willing to make this kind of trek to worship God? And it took me kind of a while. They don't, there, there isn't a map quest that will go from Oskram to all the way up to Jerusalem. So a little finagling on my part, after probably more time than I should have spent, I came up with 1,947.7 miles, which drive time through some of the treacherous passes and such that it goes through. You're looking at 42 hours in a car. Now, I don't know what the average speed of a chariot is. I would venture to guess... Any charioteers out there? I, I would guess somewhere, if you know horses, maybe somewhere in the realm of 10 to 15 miles an hour. Maybe. You know, and that's not, you know, having any of the wheels break or anything like that based on the terrain that these guys were going through. And, I mean, it was, it was a, not a great part of town to go through. I mean, there were robbers. This was a trade route. little side note, coffee, where does that come from? Ethiopia. I understand this is the birthplace of coffee, too. But anyway, for those of us that need it in the morning, we're grateful that it was born. But we got this crazy journey that this guy had embarked on just to worship God. And then you got Philip, who's in Samaria, who's told to do what? Somewhere out there, there's this guy you're going to find, and you need to kind of disclose the good news of Jesus Christ. I mean, you know, I remember years ago in this church, we used to always talk about being willing to give up everything, go anywhere, do anything for God. And this is the kind of available heart that we see in this passage. Is that where we're at today? You know, the other aspect of this, now we got this guy kind of cruising along in the chariot there. You know, think this through, too. I mean, uh, the equivalent today would be Vice President Biden, right? Number two guy. I mean, this guy was the number two guy in Ethiopia. Now, if the Holy Spirit came to me and said, hey, you what, you know that motorcade over there that it, uh, Biden's in, you need to go run up to him and share the good news. I don't know how well they had to go over today. I'd probably get shot. And I don't know if this was something that, I, I would imagine there, there may have been some of that going on through Philip's head, yet he was totally submissive to God in this particular situation. He was available, and he was willing to do whatever God called him to do. You know, the Ethiopian eunuch, this is really kind of cool. There's a, uh, you can actually go to this website. It's called the Great Isaiah Scroll. And they have the scroll, one of the uh, Qumran scrolls laid out in its entirety. And you can scroll through and click on anywhere in it. It will tell you the equivalent verse in Isaiah. You read from right to left. It's in the, it's in the Hebrew. But it's absolutely blow away in that when you open that on up, you know, normal... Uh, you take it on out, you're basically getting three sections the way it's segmented together at one time. We'll talk about that a little bit more as I get a little bit further into things here. But here he is reading Isaiah while he's out there on this chariot ride. And again, just this heart that he has for God, being available, going after God's word, taking that time personally to explore that. God's word, God's people, what all this meant. 
And then we see Philip the same way. He's got that same heart. He's available. He's serving God and God's people. He followed God's direction. But I think ultimately understanding that being available is not the same thing as being able or capable. I think the most common misconception about serving God is that we can't because we lack the ability. We look at our lives, the situations that we can step into when it comes to making a living. Now, I can look back at a number of situations with my own life through the years. I have acquired so much additional knowledge every time I've stepped into a situation that was above my skill set. And it's amazing how we're designed. I mean, we are. This is a divine design, these bodies that we have and the talents and the abilities that we've been blessed with. But again, I think there's a, a big difference between being available and being able or capable. You know, I appreciate our champions for the poor, our ushers, our kids' kingdom singers, our AV team. I mean, I, I'm so blown away with the worship service that Sai puts together, how he dials in all the details, what goes on backstage, making everything awesome to glorify God. And I would imagine if you went back and you asked Sai, Sai, where are you at? How long have you been a Christian? If you were to go back prior to that 13 years, or maybe even cut that 13 years in half, would you have seen yourself doing what you're doing today? And this is, this is the kind of awesome God that we have. A lot of times we don't even realize the talents and abilities that we've been blessed with. But God will use it if we're willing to listen to what he calls us to. And where are the places that we need to listen? God's word, first and foremost. You know, I just want to commend everyone that volunteers in this church. And I would imagine it's a large percentage, but there's absolutely no reason why we all can't in some way, shape, or form. God's real clear. Paul's real clear when he, he breaks down the, the significance of the body of Christ. Every part needs to do its work with every part. And we're all valuable in God's eyes. So that heart of availability, what does that look like? What areas where, on a personal level, you know maybe you should engage but you haven't. See, it doesn't matter how many degrees you have or how many awards you've got hanging on the wall or the size of your bank account. God, God isn't interested in your ability. He knows what he's given you. He knows how he's created you. He knows what he's made. And the thing that I love is we don't have to impress him. He's already impressed. He's impressed by us. He loves us. He sent his best to us. How much more could you demonstrate that he's impressed with us other than what he did by sending us his son. See, we don't need to impress him, but what he does want is he wants available hearts. you got to ask yourself, what if Noah had said no? And I would venture to guess it's not too much of a stretch based on where he was at that being a boat builder wasn't his number one priority in life. What if Moses would have continued to insist, I'm not qualified? What if David had never fought Goliath? And he had bought in all the other excuses that everyone else set him up with, even King Saul. What if Nehemiah hadn't rebuilt the wall? What if Jesus actually had come down off the cross after the taunting and the disrespect and the curses they were throwing at him. Come on, dude, bring it down, bring it, man. 12,000 angels, where are they? Christ. What if the person who told you about God's saving grace would have remained silent? What if Philip had been unavailable when God called? God is looking. Isaiah said, here I am, Lord, send me. God is speaking. Samuel said, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. And God is moving. Ruth said, I will go wherever you go. Are you ready? Are you available this morning? You need to make yourself available to God. We all need to make sure that we make ourselves available to God. Because yours, as well as someone else's, eternal destiny may depend on it. See, the second thing we notice about the eunuch this morning is that we need to have a teachable heart. 
You know, to be taught means more than just to acquire information. Whoops. There we go. To be taught is to, is to be more, or is to be empowered with that knowledge and wisdom that you need to succeed. See, when Jesus taught, people by the masses would gather around him. People wanted to hear about the kingdom of God. They wanted to learn from the master teacher. Have we become so busy with the affairs of our lives that we no longer desire to sit at the master's feet and be taught? You know, maybe uh, it's a situation where you never have been taught. You haven't had the opportunity. For those of you that may be visiting with us here for the first time or that have come out with your friends. See, part of being a Christian is discipleship, asking for help, having humility, being teachable in the areas where we may not have the knowledge yet. The thing that's awesome about Christ's teaching is Christ's teachings are empowering and they're challenging. You know, when it comes to God's word, here on the west side, are we reading it? In light of everything else that we do, what kind of investment goes into that versus the other things that in some instances may actually choke out having that kind of a relationship with God? You know, you remember the rope that we've given out in the, uh, with the family ministry? What are you living for right now? That little red tip? Or are you living for eternity? And you may, you may wonder, you know, okay, so why do I need to be teachable? Well, the bottom line is we're always in a state of learning. And the world has taught us a lot and continues to hammer us through the media and our peers. And the thing that I love about God's word is it has the ability to overcome patterns that we've established in our lives. See, once you've learned a pattern of behavior, isn't it hard to break that pattern? I mean, we can get to the point where we're almost comfortable with it, even though we know it's not right, but we're used to it. And we need to have the spirit and the heart that the eunuch had. I mean, this guy was worshiping. I mean, we saw the distance this guy was willing to travel. But he knew there was more to life than just being the treasurer to Candace. His heart was, Lord, teach me. And that needs to be our heart. Lord, teach us. Teach us to pray. Teach us to love as you love. Teach us to see others the way you see them. Teach us to administer hope as you administer hope. Lord, teach us to be compassionate. Teach us to give of ourselves the way you gave. Teach us to forgive ourselves and others the way that you did. See, this is the heart behind that question. Why do I need to be teachable? And then finally, you need a faithful heart. The thing that encourages me is that we all serve a faithful God. Time and time again, it doesn't matter how many times we blow it, if we're willing to repent, God is faithful. He will never turn his back on me. He will never abandon me. Even when I fall short, he is there for me and he's there for you. But what is faithfulness exactly? You know, some of us may think it's showing up for church on time. For the rest of you that don't, Maybe something you want to think about, but that's a whole other lesson. So what is that faithfulness? You know, maybe, you know, well, man, I volunteer. I teach in Kids' Kingdom. Or I show up for family discussion at our family group. Or reading your Bible or prayer. But what does it really mean? See, the word faithful comes from the Greek word pistos, which means consistent, reliable, trustworthy. Now, most people will know that I love football. I don't have much of an attention span for when it comes to any of the other sporting activities or on TV. And I do believe if the Apostle Paul was here today that uh, he'd more than likely be a Steelers fan. <laughs> because they are champions. <laughs> but to win a championship in football, you have to accumulate the most wins over the course of a season. And I'll get back to where our season's at right now, okay? You know, winning a single game is great. It'd be greater for us this year. But the real prize ultimately is what? The Super Bowl. It's the Super Bowl. The key to getting there is by being consistent. 
Consistency or faithfulness wins championships. You know, one of the things the Steelers have demonstrated over the years, there's a great degree of consistency on two fronts. Number one team for third down conversions. I don't know exactly where they're at in the standings on that this year. But they also have the number one quarterback for third down conversions. I know that did not happen this year. Unfortunately, these aren't the only areas that consistency is needed. You know, with the Steelers, most of you know, you guys doing the fantasy football thing, we're 0-4, yeah, whatever. You know, I never thought I'd be this early in the season waiting for next season, but that's where I'm at right now. (laughs) But I do have one question for you. Got rings? (laughs) I don't think the, the, ultimately where I'm going with this, though, is when it comes to that consistency, when it comes to that faithfulness, Spirituality is no different. Faithfulness leads to spiritual success. Heaven, life to the full on earth, and for eternity needs to be rooted in faithfulness. It's one of the nine seeds of the fruit of the Spirit. Notice I didn't say the fruit of the spirits. It's fruit of the Spirit, singular. It's a package deal. Galatians 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, and self-control. As God's people, this is what we need to be demonstrating to each other. As God's people, we've got to be faithful to this. God rewards faithfulness. It's a key to opening heaven's floodgates. In Hebrews 11, verse 6, it says, "Now Now without faith... It is impossible to please God. For the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. Doesn't that make sense that this is what we should be doing with a lot of our time, most of our time, maybe all of our time? In every decision we make, in everything that we do, we seek God first before we act. You know, I, This is an area that I've grown a ton in over the years, but it's an area that I need to continue to work on. I'm a little passionate from time to time. But with that passion, if it's not a matter of me seeking God first, it's amazing how it flows over into an area that can be sinful. My interaction with my wife, interaction with my children, sometimes my interaction with other people. And really understanding that this faithfulness, this isn't a a new concept. This isn't a church program. It's a timeless principle. But I think ultimately for us, especially in America, we, we, we don't, this time thing, man, If we didn't get it yesterday, there's a problem. Patience isn't something that's a virtue. You know, we want to receive the reward immediately, and we can forget about being faithful. We need to be found faithful. An inspection is coming. We've talked about Matthew 25. We know the significance of the passage. Sheeps and goats, one or the other, serving God, not serving God. And there's implications to that. Sometimes life can be a little challenging. And I'm sure that probably went through Philip's mind, and that's probably how he felt leaving his friends, family, the crank and gig there that he had in Samaria, to head out to the middle of the desert to go talk to one guy that he didn't even know. You know, when I uh, went down to Orange County years ago, I kind of had myself convinced that I was available But again, one of the things we've seen with that availability and teachableness and faithfulness is that it's a heart issue. And I went, and it was with false humility. I went, but I wasn't faithful. I didn't have a faithful heart. I didn't have a teachable heart. The bottom line is it was a total mess. Because I went in with a framework, a plan, and absolutely no real seeking of God. I had pulled back from God in a huge way. And it was disastrous for me and my family. You know, in the passage we looked at here earlier today, Philip was asked by God to go south through the desert. You know, the desert is barren, desolate, for some, depressing. Not a whole lot of green if you're into green. Those trade routes were filled with robbers. You know, this is kind of like me right now being asked to go lead a ministry out in Palm Springs or Palm Desert or somewhere. Um, I don't know about you guys, I love the coastal community, 
I'm not a good hot weather guy. I mean, I have my fan over here on this side just to keep from, uh, you know, being a major distraction up here with this overactive cooling system I have. But really understanding that faithfulness is proven in the little, not in the lot. Sometimes it's just following simple direction, which is exactly what Philip did. It isn't dependent, again, upon what we've got. It's what you do with what you have. You know, just kind of summing up those three characteristics again. An available heart, teachable heart, faithful heart. There's three elements that are, ta that are needed in order for a fire to start. Three elements that are necessary. Fuel, oxygen, and heat. What happens if you take one of those out of the equation? You got nothing. Doesn't matter which one of the three you take out or what the combination is of the other two, you've got nothing. If you take one of them out of the picture, fire simply won't start. And it's the same way with these three characteristics. They're necessary if we're going to be passionate about what Christ has called us to and if we're going to make it to heaven. In Acts 8, verse 32, the reason now the scripture passage that he was reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silently for its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him, who will describe his generation. For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch replied to Philip, I ask you, who is the prophet saying this about himself or another person? You know, what do we see here? He's teachable. So Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus, beginning from the scripture. And as they were traveling down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, there's water. What would keep me from being baptized? And if you'll notice, a lot of times in the NIV, and it's because... There's different periods of times that the texts rely on, but what they do is they remove verses and they footnote them. And you may or may not know that, but I would imagine if you look in your NIV, do you have a verse 37? Anybody see a verse 37 in the NIV? Is there a little footnote at the bottom of the page? It's kind of interesting here. He says, look, there's water. What would keep me from being baptized? And Philip said... If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. What do we see here? Faith being demonstrated on his part for the first time. It says, then he ordered the chariot to stop. Both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him any longer, but he went on his way rejoicing. See, rejoicing. It's the thing that comes from having an available heart. It's the thing that comes from having a teachable heart. And ultimately, it's the thing that comes from having a faithful heart. You know, looking at this passage of Scripture, it's amazing to see how God orchestrated to touch one person. We don't know how many lives that this one man touched, but it was more than likely, in my opinion, this is the very person that impacted an entire nation. The eunuch was happy, verse 39. It says he went on his way rejoicing. Why? There is no greater experience or anything more exciting than having accepted the gift of salvation. And ultimately, what does this joy produce? Well, we know that he was reading the book of Isaiah in chapter 53. It's possible that, again, when you unroll that scroll, that right there in that passage, as you go from right to left, chapter 53 on the right, I'm sure you had the ability to look at chapter 56 in that same period of time that he was reading. Keep in mind, they didn't break it out by chapters and verses and all that. But in Deuteronomy 23, verse 1, and in the Levitical law, a eunuch is not a whole man. He's damaged goods. And he was not allowed to enter the assembly of God. It's really interesting. I mean, this... I saw this for the first time as I was preparing this lesson. Imagine being this eunuch, with the not even having the ability to enter the assembly of God in Jerusalem. He still went to be in that proximity to worship. Yet in Isaiah 56, I think this whole new meaning of becoming a disciple of Christ 
I have a feeling the words in Isaiah 56 ran out in his ears here. Verse 3. Don't let foreigners who commit themselves to the Lord say, the Lord will never let me be a part of his people. And don't let the eunuch say, I'm a dried up tree with no children and no future. For this is what the Lord says. I will bless those eunuchs who choose to do what pleases me and commit their lives to me. I will give them within the walls of my house a memorial and a name far greater than sons and daughters could give. For the name I give them is an everlasting one. It will never disappear. I will also bless the foreigners who commit themselves to the Lord, who serve him and love his name, who worship him, and who hold fast to my covenant. I will bring them to my holy mountain of Jerusalem and will fill them with joy in my house of prayer. I read this, and it was just it, that level of rejoicing he had in verse 39. It, I, I was able to really get it. I mean, really, to be banned because of your condition, having a relationship with God, and then for him to be able to receive the reassurance that comes through Christ is amazing. No matter who people are, eunuchs or foreigners, unbelievers or backsliders, able or disabled, Jew or Gentile, as they made themselves available teachable and faithful to the, the Savior, Jesus Christ, they would never, ever be excluded. And as we are available, teachable, and faithful, we will never be shut out, separated, or cut off from God's salvation and promises. It's really kind of cool, according to the church tradition there, that very eunuch went back to Ethiopia, to Oxum, its capital, and became an evangelist himself. And the Christian church in Ethiopia and Oxum is believed to be a direct result today of the eunuch's ministry. So like the eunuch, we will rejoice in the Lord always if we remember what Jesus Christ has done for us. We can rejoice because our name is written in the book of life. And we can live a life of joy that only comes from living a life of impact and purpose. As disciples of Jesus Christ, let's make ourselves available, teachable, and faithful. And if you're one of our friends that are visiting here, maybe for the first time today, or maybe you've even been studying the Bible and you're not sure what that looks like, anybody here with a Bible can sit down and share their life how Christ has worked in their lives, and show you what this means for you, if you're willing to embrace it. Amen. Let's go ahead and bow our heads and go to the Father in prayer. Father, I'm so humbled to be able to come before you right now. It's amazing that you would think of me, that you would think of us, that you would think of this congregation knowing that as we were created, we would walk away from you. And at the same time, knowing that there was a way that we would have the opportunity to be redeemed back into your good grace. Father, thank you for Jesus and the opportunity to focus on him right now, to think through the sacrifice that took place at Calvary 2,000 years ago. And even pause for a moment, what if Jesus had not seen things through to the end? We know he was challenged, we know that it was emotional, we know it was physical, but I can't even begin to imagine spiritually the disconnect that happened when he took on our sins. Having been with you for eternity, to be plunged into darkness so that we would have the opportunity to enter the light with you. Father, be with us right now as we head off into a new week. Help us to remember what Jesus has done for us. Help us to be available, help us to be teachable, help us to be faithful, knowing that's the very thing that will get us to heaven. But even greater and beyond that is the ability to help others see their need for you and have that same opportunity to accept the gift of salvation that you've so freely given. 
Father, I thank you again for this time. Thank you for the body of Christ. Thank you for the blood of Christ and the significance it has for us and our relationship with you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to go into a time of worship as we take communion and uh, do several songs. And so as you feel moved to sit or stand, maybe you want to worship in the back or go and pray, uh, feel free to do so as we take communion and go into these next songs. the great
Sing it out, you dance. You dance over me while I am unaware, and you sing all around, but I never hear the sound. And Lord, I'm a Ha! 
to our Lord, how deep and how deep, Lord, how deep, how wide, oh, how wide, how great is your love for me. With everything you got, sing it out, how deep. How wide and how deep, oh, how deep, Lord, how wide, oh, how wide, how great, oh, how great is your love for me.
just rejoice For you are my King Sing it out, rejoice And rejoice, rejoice I will lift my voice And join the song Creation is singing Yes, we can shout, shout Even stones cry out Rejoice, for you are my king. I must rejoice, and I must rejoice, for you are my king. One more time, I must rejoice, for you are my king. Amen. Have a great time of fellowship. Happy Sunday. Oh 